The first murder in recorded history took place between two brothers. We read of this tragic event in the book of Genesis found in the Bible. While we don't know all the details, the Bible tells us it was a case of jealousy. One brother offered a sacrifice that pleased God. The other also offered a sacrifice, but something was wrong with it. Now, rather than take responsibility for his shortcomings, Cain chose to blame his brother Abel. He took out his wrath by rising up and killing him. What followed was a pitiful attempt to hide his crime, but out of it came one of the most important questions ever asked. In answer to God's question, where is your brother, Cain replied with this ageless question, am I my brother's keeper? This is found in the fourth chapter of Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible and the remainder of the Bible gives us the answer. Today we live in a world filled with violence, hatred, jealousy, and brutality. Why? Why can't man seem to find the way to peace and harmony? Why can't we find the way to end war, divorce, and conflict with neighbors? And what does this have to do with Cain's sarcastic question, am I my brother's keeper? Stay tuned. A warm welcome to all of you from the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this Tomorrow's World telecast, where we explore the most important of all questions and bring you the good news of the prophesied coming of a better world. Yes, the most published book of all time, the Bible, does predict a better world is coming. Now, I understand that based on all human history, that is difficult to believe but that is what the Bible predicts. That better world won't come as a result of man's efforts, but in spite of them. And it won't come about until we come to the place where all life would otherwise be destroyed from this beautiful planet that we call home. And it won't come about until man understands the answer to Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? A man by the name of Herbert Armstrong once traveled the world visiting kings, queens, prime ministers, presidents, emperors, and business leaders in countries all around the world with a very simple message. There are only two ways of life. First, the give way. That is the way of outgoing concern for the other person. We might say the way of being your brother's keeper. And secondarily, the get way. That was Cain's way, the way of caring first and foremost about oneself. Take care of number one. Don't let anyone get one up on you. And today that is the way individuals and nations operate. Self-interest is the way our world has chosen. It seems to be the right way. After all, if you don't look out for yourself, who else will? Instead of giving of one's time, wealth, energy to others, 
Think first and foremost about how you can accumulate all that you can for yourself. And yes, on the surface, self-interest seems to be the only smart way to live. But what are the fruits? Think and consider, how is it working for us? Former United States President Richard Nixon wrote a book about peace and how he believed it would come about. But this is not the kind of peace that we at Tomorrow's World look to and the way of peace the Bible describes. Instead, he refers to a stalemate where countries of competing self-interest learn to manage their differences. Those who make peace at the typing table rather than at the negotiating table have the luxury of being peacemakers without having to grapple with complex problems in the rough and tumble world of real international diplomacy. They hope that this era will be the one in which self-interest, the force that has driven history since the dawn of history, will simply evaporate. Of course, we don't believe that self-interest will simply evaporate. It won't go away by man's efforts, but by the intervention of the God who created us. We call this program Tomorrow's World because the Bible predicts a time in the future when God will intervene in world affairs. He will stop us from cosmicide, but He will do more than stop us as a school principal breaks up a fight between two bullies. He will deal with the heart and the core of the problem and change human nature. But how can that be? Many think of the devil as a cartoon character, if they believe in a devil at all. But the Bible reveals to us that there is a powerful, clever, manipulative spirit being that is influencing human nature in a negative way. The Apostle Paul explained to the converts in Ephesus how this powerful spirit being works in mankind in general. Notice that in chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, they once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Notice that this spirit being is called the prince of the power of the air. One way for us to understand this is that he broadcasts through the air moods and attitudes. Just as there are many voices swirling around where you currently are, the only ones you can hear are the ones you tune into with a television, radio, or some other electronic device. They're all there, perhaps hundreds of voices. But unless you have a receiver for them, you can't hear them. In the same way, the human mind is a receiver for the various attitudes and moods the prince of the power of the air is broadcasting. We are so used to it that we don't recognize it, but it contributes to what we call human nature. And that is what God is going to change when He intervenes. He will remove that influence and that will make it possible for human nature to be changed. Only then can our Creator change our nature to the better give way of outgoing concern. Only then 
will men and women everywhere learn to be their brother's keeper. Now let me add that it really doesn't matter whether you and I believe this or not. But before we dismiss this prediction, it would do us well to take note of the accuracy of biblical prophecy in general. For example, Jesus predicted nearly 2,000 years ago that man would come to the place where all life could be destroyed from planet Earth. In describing the time at the end of the age, Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verses 21 and 22, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. No, man will not be allowed to destroy all life. But Jesus predicted that He will have that capability and will actually come to the place where it will happen except for God's intervention. Was that possible 2,000 years ago when He made this statement? Was it possible even 200 years ago? No, not even 100 years ago. But we do see that potential today. The 14th chapter of Zechariah describes the same time of Jesus' second coming when He will be king over all the earth. You can read of that in verse 9. But we also learn that the city would be divided and that all nations will eventually get involved to solve the Jerusalem problem. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. Do we currently see more and more nations lining up against Jerusalem and the Jews who live there? Do we see a city divided between Jews and others? Yes, we do. And this was written 2,500 years ago. We should never take Bible prophecy lightly. A change in human nature and a better world will come about in the future. But what about today? Can we learn to be our brother's keeper? If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. A dear friend of mine often repeats a lesson taught to him by his wise father. Take care of others and God will take care of you. This man is one of the most generous men I've known, and God has taken good care of him and his family. Of course, he also has done his part by educating himself and working hard. Now imagine for a moment how different life would be if everyone followed this wise advice. Clearly this is an answer to Cain's question. This man believes he is his brother's keeper. Now Jesus' answer to this question is also unequivocal. The Apostle Paul reminds us of Jesus' admonition in Acts the 20th chapter, verse 35, where it says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, 
it is more blessed to give than to receive. But our whole culture teaches us just the opposite from childhood. Consider our consumer society. Consider how we strive for one material item after another. In the West, we refer to keeping up with the Joneses. In other words, if our neighbor gets a new car, we somehow think that we also need one. How many of us believe that if we only had a larger income by which we could buy that new dress, a Rolex watch, a fancy sports car, or some other status symbol, that this would bring us happiness? But does it? Perhaps temporarily. But does it bring lasting happiness? Look at the evidence. Consider how many young celebrities who seemingly have everything crash and burn. They have fame, fortune, and all the perks that come with fame and fortune. In spite of having so much, they lack one thing, true, lasting happiness. Consider how many divorces they have. Consider how many overdose on drugs or commit suicide. These are not the signs of true and lasting happiness and fulfillment in life. Steve Connor, science editor for England's The Independent, reveals a link between personal happiness and outgoing concern for others. In a study that helps explain a paradox of modern life, why increasing wealth does not necessarily make people happier, psychologists found how people spend their money is at least as important as how much of it they earn in the first place. The greatest joys of all they discovered can be attained by giving money away, either to someone they know or to charity. The Bible shows that the rewards for caring for others go well beyond happiness in this life. The Gospel according to Matthew tells of a young man who came to Jesus with a very important question. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, and in verse 16, he asked, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now that's a good question, but one that few seem to be concerned about. Most people are well aware that they will die someday, and they may wonder, what then? Is there life after death? Jesus affirmed that there is by giving this young man the answer to what he must do to attain eternal life. In verse 17 it says, But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus then went on to list some of the Ten Commandments, and notice that each one has something to do with caring for one's neighbor. In essence, they have to do with being your brother's keeper. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man's response is most interesting. He first affirms that all of these commands he had kept from his youth. But then he asked a question that indicates a realization that something was missing from his life. Let's continue in verse 20. All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? 
The answer Jesus gave was not what he wanted to hear. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You see, his money was his God, and Jesus showed him that if he wanted eternal life, he had to worship a different God and truly love his neighbor as himself. Sadly, we read that this young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jose Manuel Barroso, in a 2008 speech, quoted former Belgian Prime Minister Paul Henry Spack as saying, What a pity it is that while we all know what we should do, we should prove so incapable of doing it. We are clear-sighted enough to see the goal to be attained, but also too weak to reach it. Jesus also gave a parable that describes in detail what it means to be your brother's keeper. It is one of the best known of his parables and is found in Luke, the 10th chapter. It begins very similar to the account of the rich young man, but in this case it was a lawyer who asked the question concerning eternal life. Jesus then asked him what was written in the law, and this lawyer recited the two great commands that sum up all the others. Here it is in Luke, the 10th chapter, and in verse 27. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus confirmed that he spoke well. But this lawyer must have had a guilty conscience, especially concerning the part about loving his neighbor. Because we are told, But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? What followed was the giving of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's take the time to read it in its entirety, beginning in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It should be noted that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews, with a long history of animosity between the two. And even though this did not actually happen, but was a parable, we find the lesson coming through loud and clear. But let's finish the parable because the Samaritan wasn't finished helping this poor victim of crime. Continuing in verse 35, On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again I will repay you. A denarii was approximately a common day's wage at that time, and the Samaritan gave the innkeeper two. 
Jesus then asked the question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The Bible describes a radically different way of life from the norm. We are all different, but we can all be our brother's keeper, and God expects us to use our various talents, gifts, and blessings to serve others. Here's what we are instructed by the Apostle Paul in Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Whenever I think of the last phrase, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, I am reminded of an incident that happened more than 40 years ago. Another minister and I were visiting a man in a nursing home who was dying from a very grievous cancer that covered about half of his face. It was an open wound, and the stench was awful. Whenever we went to visit him, we would stand at the door to his room to allow our senses to become dull to the smell. But on one occasion, while we were still easing ourselves into the room, a perky young nurse walked right past us with a big smile and a cheerful voice and asked, How are you doing today, Mr. Scoggins? What an example she was of showing mercy with cheerfulness. The world teaches us to think first and foremost for the self. The Bible teaches the way of give. It teaches us not to oppress a stranger. And we are even to love our enemy and to look out for the well-being of his animal. Notice that in Exodus, the 23rd chapter and verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. When Cain asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper? It was done in a sarcastic way in the attitude of, Who do you think I am, my brother's keeper? But it formed a division of two different ways of life, the results of which we can see plainly revealed in the examples throughout the Bible. The Apostle John affirms that this is one of the primary themes of Scripture. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He then goes on to remind us that love, being our brother's keeper, involves action. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You and I aren't going to be able to change the world, but we can change our own lives with God's help. We can be like the man who lives by the mantra, take care of others and God will take care of you. We can learn that what Jesus said about it being more blessed to give than to receive is true by putting that way of life into action. 
We can follow the advice of the Apostle Paul found in Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was that mind? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all come up short in our relationship with our Creator and have not always acted as our brother's keeper. We have broken God's law, every one of us. We are also told in the Bible that the penalty for sin, which is the breaking of God's law, is death. The Scriptures also teach us that the one who created mankind emptied himself of his divine power and came down on earth as a man. This Jesus Christ then offered up His life in exchange for ours. He is the ultimate brother's keeper. There are many misconceptions about the biblical message, and we certainly hope that you are finding tomorrow's world educational and enlightening. The Living Church of God, the sponsor of tomorrow's world, is striving to recapture original Christianity the Christianity practiced by Jesus Christ and the first century apostles. This includes the Bible's clear teaching on how to worship God and how to treat others. To help you learn more about original Christianity, we have a booklet titled, Restoring Original Christianity. Believe me, it is a real eye-opener, and you will be amazed at what you learn from it. To read or download a copy of Restoring Original Christianity, go to our website that will be shown momentarily. And be sure to come back next time at this same time and station to learn more about the good news of tomorrow's world. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by The Living Church of God.